Well, hello, friends. Brian Sussman here. It's the Brian Sussman Show podcast. Thank you for joining me. We're into a lengthy series entitled Weaponizing the Climate. The first episode was 154. So we're now into episode 157, Weaponizing the Climate. This is going to be ongoing. It's super important stuff. And just to recap, the reason why I'm so passionate about this topic is because at the end of the day, this is about changing the world in which we live into a society that none of us would want to live in. The climate has been weaponized. Now, even if you believe there is global warming, even if you believe there is climate change, that's fine. I'm really glad you're here. Because if there is anthropogenic That means man-made, anthropogenic global warming, anthropogenic climate change. The question that you're going to need to to ask yourself during the course of these many podcasts is, is what we're doing to try change global warming, mitigate global warming, mitigate climate change, alter climate change, alter global warming, is what we're doing the right thing? That's, that's a question I'm just going to ask, especially later when we talk about weather modification. Do you really think weather modification, changing the weather of the planet, is the right way to go about doing business? Do you really think that instituting a, a world government, because that seems to be the plan coming out of the United Nations and the World Economic Forum, which are now married, wealthiest people on the planet, biggest corporations on the planet, all moving together in lockstep. Do you think that if there really is global warming, if there really is climate change, is that what we should be doing? Should we, should we tax people more? Should we alter the economy? Should we change the way force, change in the way everyone lives? I'm just asking some very realistic questions. I'm trying to find, I'm trying to to be rational here, friends. And just be a voice crying in the wilderness. Okay, one more. If there really is global warming, if there really is climate change, do we need to liquidate Christianity? Because that's what we talked about yesterday. When you look at the actual roots of this movement, when you look at the roots of the movement, just go back to... Episode 156, that's where I start to talk about the laws of matter. And that's where we're going to pick it up today. And I'm so glad you're with me. More of me, by the way, at briansussman.com. You can listen to all these podcasts there or anywhere where you happen to listen to podcasts. And then for daily doses of inspiration, just just biblical inspiration, I have my uh, Instagram page, which is at Show. Okay, so let's let's pick it up from there and get into this. I want to go back to the laws of matter. This is very important that we talk about this one more time. I didn't get all the way through those yesterday. These podcasts, by the way, are always about 20 minutes. I want to make sure you just have time enough to listen and then you can move on with the rest of your day. And I'm so appreciative that you're here. Okay, so let's go to Karl Marx, Frederick Engels, 1842. These two thinkers come together. They're both philosophers. They both are atheists. They both have an ax to grind against capitalism, and they're especially, especially opposed to the United States of America. 
for Marx and Engels, the entire world was atoms and molecules and, and materials that you can't see. They did not believe in beliefs. They did not believe in God. They didn't believe in imagination for the most part. Time was the magic wand that allowed all matter to come together and create the universe in which humans find themselves. They didn't believe that God created this universe. They came up to codify their doctrine with something called the three laws of matter. I talked about the first two yesterday, but I'll recap so we can move on. But this is, this is essential to the discussion. As I mentioned yesterday, we can't talk there have been lots of books that have tried to debunk or maybe, well, that there have been lots of books written to debunk global warming and climate change. Okay, that's, to me, that's, that's old news. There have been some very persuasive videos uh, writ, make, produced and some books written to talk about weather modification. That's real news. That's not, it's kind of old news but it's very real. My contention is we, we can't talk about that stuff. We can't talk about the Great Reset, which has everything to do with the climate and sustainable development and social justice and social equity. They've linked those three things to climate. They've linked sustainable development, which by the way, if I asked 10 of you to define sustainable development, I'd get 10 different answers. And social justice and social equity. Those th three things have been linked to the climate. So before we can talk about that, you need to understand the roots of this movement. And I, I'm the guy that, that first wrote about this stuff in my, in my first two books, Climate Gate and Eco-Tyranny. And I'll be talking at length about it in the, in the upcoming book, which I'll give you more information on as time progresses. But we have the three laws of matter, law of opposites, law of negation, law of transformation. This is the rationale for today's green agenda. So again, the law of opposites, think of a battery, positive, negative charge, electricity, positive, negative charge, contradictory forces working in unity. Even the human race is composed of these opposite qualities, altruism, selfishness. Courage, cowardice, humility, pride, masculinity, femininity. Although, isn't it interesting, the latter's being uh, kind of a race these days. It's God's, God's, God's first act, you know, after, in terms of humanity, male and female. And now that's being erased. This is by design, by the way. Okay, this is, this is where it gets incredibly spiritual. This is where it gets incredibly out of this world crazy. Rulers, principalities, dark forces, everything the Bible talked about seems to be happening before our very eyes. Atoms, well, let me just move from Adam and Eve and atoms and molecules to this. Marx believed these opposite forces had to be kept in balance. If not, there's going to be discord. And so... This first law, the law of opposites, sees demagogues and heavy-handed rulers as essential to effective and masterful governance. You have to have them, Marx believed. Then there's the law of negation. The law of negation says this. Um, all species possess an inherent tendency to prolificate. 
Marx and Engels believed non-human species bear automatic mechanisms to properly manage expansion and prevent their increases from growing out of control, but humans just grow out of control. So the law of negation casts mankind as an ever-consuming population bomb that's ignorantly placing the planet at risk. Therefore, there has to be population control. As a result, this law insists that systems be put into place to maintain sustainability, quote-unquote, including mechanisms to ensure human population control. Go back to 1968, Paul Ehrlich, uh, Professor Emeritus, Stanford University. Back in the day, he wrote the book Population Bomb. This is another guy cut from the cloth philosophically of Marx and Engels and other progressive thinkers. These people think Christianity is a joke. You know, I pray for these people. I really do. I pray that when they're on their deathbed, suddenly they'll just have this, this moment of time before they breathe their last where they go, oh my God, I was wrong. I repent. I hope when I get to heaven, I'll be surprised to see some of these characters there. Seriously. How can I not? The law of negation. This is the motivating factor for the eco buzzwords that we hear today like sustainable. Okay, the law of negation, sustainable. Toyota tells us it's Prius is the vehicle that started the sustainable transportation revolution. Sustainable. Whole Food Market states they sell fish caught in an environmentally sustainable manner. It's a marketing word. Intentions of such marketing plans are clever, but carried to an extreme, the concept of sustainability involves much more than battery-assisted cars and farmed fish. It's a call, please stay with me. It's a call for government policies that force changes in human behavior and lifestyles under penalty of law. The third Marx-Engels axiom is the most arrogant. It's called the law of transformation. This states that a continuous quantitative development by a particular species often results in a leap within nature. Okay, I'm going to go back. I, I know you're listening and <clears throat> let's just go back <laughs> so you don't have to rewind a, this podcast. The law of transformation, continuous quantitative development by a particular species often results in a leap within nature whereby a completely new form or entity is produced. This law was bolstered by the findings of Marx and Engels' contemporary Charles Darwin. <clears throat> Excuse me. Darwin's theory of evolution sealed the convictions of Marx and Engels that such leaps not only allow for the origin of a new species, but could produce leaps within a species, especially in Homo sapiens. So in other words, super important, this leap, the law of transformation, enables some humans to advance to new levels of reality. The law of transformation confirms an elite status within the human race. You see where I'm going with this? Very important. 
we can't talk about all the other stuff in the green agenda. You can't debunk some of the things in the green agenda. You can't talk about population control associated with the green agenda. You can't talk about social equity or social um, justice within the green agenda without talking. You can't talk about weather modification without talking about this. The law of transformation confirms an elite status within the human race. And those born into aristocracy, evolution's aristocracy, possess, possess a duty to dictate how the underdeveloped shall live. And taken to an extreme, transformation can also determine who shall die. Was my pen clicking. With these new revelations, Marx and Engels arrogantly boasted, this is a quote, the last vestige of a creator external to the world has been obliterated. That's from a book written by Frederick Engels in 1878 called Anti-During. But I want to repeat that. The last vestige of a creator external to the world is obliterated. So do you understand when they meet at Davos every year, these are the elites of the world. These are the people who have gone to all of the, all of the top Ivy League type schools. They see themselves as smarter than the rest of us. And as such, they need to create policies and dictums that change the way the rest of us live. That's what they believe. They're elites. They believe that, for whatever reason, they've taken a leap within the species. They have better brains than the rest of us. I've often summarized the laws of matter like this. Love, passion, value, feelings are not composed of matter. They're imaginary. Belief in God, fantasy. Consciousness is just a result of material interactions within the human mind. The human race is naturally inclined toward destructive purposes and incapable of peace without intervention from those born with a leap of intelligence above and beyond the message. Such superior beings, the elites, have some sort of metaphysical responsibility in their mind, even though they probably don't believe in metaphysics the way others do. They just believe they have this responsibility to matter, to rule over those with inferior intellect, lest those with the inferior intellect destroy the planet and kill one another. Thus, power must rest in the hands of a few. This is a philosophical argument that's been going on since the days of Plato and Aristotle, and probably long before that. There are so many of these high-level thinkers who have always believed the only hope is power resting in the hands of a few. It could be a, a benevolent monarchy. It could be a benevolent oligarchy. Ol it could even be a benevolent dictator, but that's the only hope for mankind. That's why the United States of America, it was an experiment 
in representative democracy. Democracy has always led down a bad path throughout history. But the founders of this nation thought we can have a representative democracy, but it will entail a key ingredient. You need a moral and religious people to make this work. Friends, we've lost those moral and and religious bearings. And we're sliding off a cliff. And these elites know it. And they see this as their time to rule because there will be so many without the moral compass who will say, yes, yes, I'm in, please save me. Power must rest in the hands of a few, assuring that the working class is kept, kept um, productive. You know, give them their TikTok. Give them their, their social media. Give them lots of movies. Give them lots of free entertainment. Give them a universal basic income. We'll just be able to get, let them let them go on drugs. In fact, we'll start prescribing drugs for them. Let them have just all the sex they want. Let let just let's just kind of coddle them and and keep them entertained and make them feel as if everything's great. We'll just keep them over here. Put them in stack and pack housing. It'll be great. And then eventually we can start to automate their brains. We'll convince them that they only need one child. Wait a second, they don't need any children. We'll convince them that they're something they weren't born to be. It'll be great. That's what the, that's what the elites want. And too many people are saying, yeah, I kind of like that. Universal basic income, cool. Live in stack and pack housing, it'd be great. All I have to do is walk downstairs to the Safeway. It'll be cool. fantastic. Don't need a car, just do Uber. Eventually the Uber will be subsidized. It's gonna be wonderful. Over the ensuing years, Marx never drifted from his materialistic assumptions and his antagonist view of Christianity. Instead, he was able to neatly tuck those ingredients into his theory of organized collectivism, providing it with a holistic framework from which society could be rebirthed. (laughs) Unbelievable. Today, this worldview resonates with those who consider themselves to be progressive. It resonates even more so with the people trained at these elite colleges and universities through education and the absorption of open-minded doctrines. This society surmises that they are masters of the universe. And we'll stop right there. And in our next podcast, I'm going to just briefly mention how Everything they believe is so opposed, the opposite of the inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We'll talk about that in the next podcast. Thank you for joining me. I really appreciate it. Please spread the word on these podcasts, this ongoing series, which is probably going to last a long time. I just really believe that uh, this this is where I'm supposed to be right now, okay? I believe that in terms of podcasting, this is where God wants me to go for this period of time. And so I'm going to try to be obedient and give you the very, very best. And even, uh, well, anyway, more on me at briansussman.com. And uh, for daily doses of spiritual inspiration, just go to my Instagram page at Brian Sussman Show. God bless your day, my friends. Look forward to the next podcast. 